Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. A word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. A shoot shall come out from the stalk of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Caleb, uh, is it me? Check, check, check. All right. Caleb, can I... Tell a little bit of your story? Okay. Caleb, sometimes known in these hallways as Clark Giblet, uh, has been a, an important part of this family of faith for a long time since he came here kind of as a, as a year-long intern after your uh, illustrious career at uh, Mount Vernon. Um, and Caleb is about to leave. And after the first of the year, Caleb will be the new resident director of one of the dormitories at Kenyon College in Ohio. So very close to back home, and we will miss you. Oh, hey. I was not prepared for people to uh, applaud your leaving. I don't understand that. I don't understand that, but we will miss you desperately. And I'm praying for you, and we'll hopefully have a chance to celebrate you more before you leave, so thank you. Um, also, thank you to my dear friend, Lee Copeland. I could, just could not, ha- and I communicated this to him, I could not have asked for someone to kick off this new series any better than you did last week. It was just so good, and I'm, I really was jealous of the sermon that you preached, <laughs> that it was just that good. Just so, so thank you so much, um, and welcome, everybody, to the second Sunday in Advent, you have already sort of heard the theme today. Today is Peace Sunday. So all of the passages today that were available to me, Psalm 72, Romans 15, John chapter 3, and Isaiah 11, all have to do with peace. Now, please keep in mind that peace is not for us who believe simply the absence of conflict. There is something more musical about it. It is best described by the Jewish word shalom, where things just sort of work. They cohere. They work together. That's the kind of peace that we're talking about. That is the kind of peace that is ached for in all of these passages. But in all of these passages, the ability to finally accomplish and participate in this peace is directly connected to the capacity to hear, ironically enough. You hope in Psalm 72 that the king... And you even, you hope it's so hard that you sing it. It's a part of your regular rotation of hymns. We sing for our leaders that they might hear the voice of God. That they might then, having heard the voice of God, navigate all of us toward God's dream for peace. In Romans chapter 15, it's, it's a very, it's a fraught situation. The Jewish Christians and all of the Jews had been excommunicated. They had been all pushed out of Rome and all these little churches. And all that was left in these little churches were the Gentile Christians. Well, then finally, the order expired and the Jewish Christians were allowed to come home, only to find that all the Gentile Christians had taken over and changed all the carpets. And so there was huge conflict between these Jewish Christians Huge conflict between these Jewish Christians and these Gentile Christians. But Paul is saying right out loud in Romans 15, if we will listen to the right voices. In fact, if we will listen to the right voice, then there is a peace, a shalom that is possible for us then that would not otherwise be possible for us. John the Baptist is probably the most strident voice (laughs) But he is the one of whom it is said, there was one out there in the wilderness calling, you should listen because this one is listening to God. And the message 
will ultimately be about peace. Now, it's a difficult message. <laughs> it's a difficult message because you will have to do some moving and changing, but ultimately, if you will listen to this one who is listening to God, the result can be the kind of peace that allows for life and hope and health and flourishing. These are the themes that we're talking about today as we come to the second Sunday of Advent. And just so we're clear, let's make sure that we're all on the same page as we use this term, Advent. This is a season of the year in which we prepare to celebrate the birth of Christ, but also, second rail, we're also, every time, we are anticipating that Christ will come again and that God will finish what God started and all God's people said, not bad, very good. So the focus of the entire season, and borrowing from Dr. Bratcher here, the focus of the entire season is preparation to celebrate the birth of Christ in his first advent, but also the anticipation of the return of the king in the second advent. But this is the part I love. Thus, he says, advent is far more than simply making a 2,000-year-old event in history than marking that event. It is celebrating a truth about God, the revelation of God in Christ, whereby all of creation might be reconciled to God. That is a process in which we now participate and the consummation of which we anticipate. If you are new to OKC First, welcome, first of all. Second, we aren't a people who believe that God will somehow take all of the nice people somewhere, somewhere else, and then destroy what's left. We believe what God says, that God will finish what God started. That God will someday, in an ultimate sort of way, make God's home among us. And we believe that that process has started in the birth, in the life, the message, the ministry, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. That's another great place for an amen. One, two, three. Amen. You guys are on it today. I love it. So we actually believe. We are people of deep and sincere and great hope. We actually believe that God is winning. Now, sometimes we believe it against the evidence that our eyes see. Some, sometimes it is hard, right, to hang on to this deep Christian belief that God has fought the major battle and what we're doing now is just announcing and embodying and initiating the victory. Sometimes that's hard to believe, but that's what we believe. Friends, that's what I believe most of the time. I believe it <laughs> most of the time. And maybe this is a function of age, I don't know. I believe it most of the time, and when I don't, I really want to. Does that make some sense? I really, I really want to recover wonder. I really want to recover on those difficult days. Look at that face, y'all. I mean, you don't have to say it out loud, but what adjectives would you use to describe what you see in Hazel's face? Man, there is, I see hopeful anticipation there. I see an, an eagerness for whatever is next. I, I see an openness to be impressed <laughs> and maybe hear something or see something that I haven't heard or seen before. I want that for my life and my life of faith. And when I don't have it, I wish I did. And when I don't have it, it sounds a whole lot like what Richard Beck in this book that we just finished, we finished this book study not too long ago, Chasing Magic Eels. When I don't have it, uh, I have what he calls an ache, an ache. Now, you'll see, I don't know if you can read it from there, but underneath the word wonder, it says, Winter Advent Film Festival. We're going to put Zach to work throughout this entire season. He's done some really cool videos, and some of them are gonna be super deep and theologically challenging. This is not one of those videos <laughs> that I'm about to show you. There's some silliness attached to this one. We've asked a very simple question, <laughs> and there's a sense in which I wanna say, please don't take this 
too seriously. We've asked, we've asked our staff members, uh, what's on your grown-up Christmas list? And in an obvious homage to Amy Grant, who is, I think, in her mid-90s now. <laughs> I'm almost sure of it, right? And way back when, she sang a song called Grown-Up Christmas, Christmas List, and it's pretty good, actually, pretty good. So we have asked our staff uh, this week, we asked, what is on your grown-up Christmas list? And you can judge for yourself how this went. I love to golf, so the number one thing on my Christmas list would be Titleist Pro V1 golf balls. I can never have enough Titleist Pro V1 golf balls. Well, this year for Christmas, my list is pretty short, so I would just like some L.L. Bean Shearling Moccasin house shoes, um, size seven. Um, I'm always in the market for clothes that allow me to age gracefully or to <laughs> just not be old and weird. This year for Christmas, I actually asked for a larger weaving loom so I could make bigger pieces. Um, I could also use any kind of Olaplex hair products. Finishing our property and building our house on our new property. I would love it if um, the internet would never go down again. I would be happy with a Barefoot Dreams blanket. I also love to read, and so I've got a bunch of books on my list, but I think a great gift, I like to go to a local bookshop and just like kind of look around and see what kind of stands out. So I love commonplace books. I love best of books up in Edmond. We're gonna build a barn dominium. So my Christmas list would be that the barn dominium would be done so I didn't have to live in a spare bedroom. I'm in the market for an oversized denim jacket, lightly distressed, maybe like a medium wash. I could use some new boots, again, size seven. And I would love it if all you volunteers uh, answered your planning center requests on time. I would love that too. Also, I'd like some tickets to the Taylor Swift Eras Tour. Oh wait, I already have them. <laughs> oh yeah, and of course, peace on earth. Oh, peace on earth. But if I can't have that, I'd at least want world peace. And uh, yeah, and peace on earth. I think peace on earth and goodwill to all men. And uh, peace on earth. It sometimes feel like, feels like that the, that the Christmas rush, and you'll notice we, we're going to do Advent songs and not very many Christmas songs until it's Christmas, and then we're going to sing a bunch of Christmas songs. It, it, sometimes, it seems like sometimes that the consumer's calendar has completely taken over the Christian calendar. So much so that by the time you ask Pastors, and this is where I'm mocking us now, and I knew this was all coming, okay? So I'm, I'm doing this on purpose, and I, they should know too. By the time you ask us pastors what we want, the peace on earth part, it almost feels like a throwaway, something that we're supposed to say. Right? That's not true of these pastors. I, I know them well enough to know that they do ache for peace in the smallest of ways and in the biggest of ways. That's not true of these pastors. But I do, I do want to kind of touch that open wound, though, and, and ask us, is that you? <laughs> is that us? Has the consumer calendar so taken over that the consumer calendar tells you what success during the season looks like, not the Christian calendar. If the Christian calendar is convincing us of what success looks like, then one of the first things you say is peace on earth. Right? But sometimes, whether it's the internet, or it's the drama with neighbors, or hard drama with family, or if it's the TV news stations, there seems to be so much evidence to the contrary that sometimes it's hard to keep a both-handed grip on the hope that we have in the victory of the cross and the resurrection, right? But we sure miss it. We, we sure miss it. And, and I want to say to you that Advent is the time to try to recover your sense of wonder, to try to recover your sense of this is what God's trying to do. Without it, I think we suffer something that, that uh, Richard Beck has called the ache. 
And here's a couple of paragraphs from his book, Hunting Magic Eels. He says, when we don't hear it or see it, it's, it's the ache. And I'm calling the ache the chalk outline around God's dead body, marking the space that God once occupied in our lives. God seems to be dead or dying a slow death in our skeptical age, and the ache traces the contours of the space that God once held in our hearts and minds and imaginations. When we trace this outline, the words we use are, and see if any of these things sound familiar, anxiety, depression, suicide, addiction, loneliness, meaninglessness, cynicism, hopelessness, irritation, angst, malaise, boredom. This is what it feels like when there is no God. But the ache, the ache though for Christians, it is our disenchantment with disenchantment. It is the unease and pain we feel without God in our lives. Yes, in this secular age, we're skeptical, doubting, suspicious, questioning, and cynical. But many of us, and this would be me, friends, but many of us are becoming increasingly skeptical about our skepticism. Starting to doubt our doubts and question our questions and getting a little cynical about being so cynical. We're growing disenchanted with disenchantment, disillusioned with the world devoid of mystery, magic, and enchantment. That is me. <laughs> and it's a lot of you because you've said it straight to my face. And most of the time I've heard you. <laughs> In fact, that book, really came along in a good time for me in that book discussion. Those weeks came along in a good, good time for me. And it coincided with the story that you have heard me tell before about losing my hearing. And I was able to, as pastors do, kind of make one story say something to the other. In fact, I'm, I'm to the point now where I'm ready to say, Maybe my slow bleed of wonder on those days, right? Those days when I don't feel like I have both-handed grip on hope. Maybe it's a hearing problem. Do you, do you, does anybody else in the room have a hearing problem then along those lines? Surgery update right quick. Um, it's working. <laughs> it's, it's working well enough that I typically come in here and I, and I love the, the rehearsal and everything and I sit right over there and I listen to the whole rehearsal. It was too loud today. So I had to go somewhere else. Here's kind of how it goes. So, and they told me it would be like this. I'm, I am recovering some sounds now. Now, I'm very impatient. I have worn out my surgeon. <laughs> it's not fixed yet, buddy. It's not fixed yet. It says, I told you six to eight weeks. So uh, the, the low register sounds. Now, if you're a musical at all, you'll know what I mean. The lower register sounds are coming back first, and they are loud. The, the mid to high is not yet back, but he believes that given some time that that will come back too. Um, but I can already tell you that I'm, I'm surprised at how loud my car engine is. I'm surprised at how loud our clothes dryer is. I'm surprised at how loud the dishwasher is. Like I can, I can really pick up on the low rumbling sounds, but the, here's the thing, I, and I realize it now, I didn't know what I wasn't hearing. You can kind of see what I'm going to do, right? right? I, I am just now rediscovering what I haven't been hearing, and there's some wonder in it. The, the, the capacity to hear what I wasn't hearing before. Listen, a repaired ear doesn't conjure the sounds. Everybody get that? Uh, the ear is not making the sounds. The sounds were there to be heard. I just didn't have the capacity to hear them, but I'm, I'm hearing them now, and I'm telling you, there's some, there's some sense of wonder in it, so much so that it's making me wonder about my other lack of wonder. Is that too an issue of a loss of hearing. There are lots of reasons that people experience hearing loss. Sometimes it's, it's a physical thing, right? Sometimes it is. But there are times when we don't hear things because there's so much competing noise. And there are other times that we end up not hearing things because over a period of time we've gotten so used to hearing that we don't notice them anymore. All of those can contribute. Everybody catching my drift here? All of those can contribute over a period of time to a loss of wonder. 
If you have lost that sense of wonder today, can I ask you to check your hearing? Can I ask you to explore and re-examine whether or not you are hearing and what it is that may be costing you your hearing? Because, friends, sometimes the voice of God is a whisper. Sometimes the kingdom of God is still and small and hard to trace. And if you have lost your capacity to hear, then it stands to reason that you will, over a period of time, if not pretty quickly, lose your capacity for wonder. And that deep hope that allows you to take steps that you might not have taken otherwise. Now let's go to Isaiah 11. Quick little backdrop here. We think King Ahaz, and Isaiah seems to be the sort of the prophet that sits in his royal council. It, it seems that King Ahaz has disappointed God and Isaiah again. Rather than listening to the whispering voice of God, Isaiah has opted for political machinations, doing the math. Ahaz is going to take a path that Isaiah knows and God knows is going to result in disaster, exile, destruction. And so it's almost as if Isaiah has been in that last ditch effort meeting to try to get Ahaz to listen again for the voice of God, to do the right thing, but Ahaz has said, no, 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 no. I, I, this is the real world, Isaiah. Here's the way we're gonna do it. And something in Isaiah breaks. And in my head, I'm supplying these details. Isaiah takes the long walk back to his study, let's say. Heartbroken at what he has seen, but still somehow able to hear the voice of God who's going to whisper a very, very familiar message, which is, I'm still here. There's still hope. There's future. And so here's what Isaiah hears, starting in verse 1. Like I know Ahaz has disappointed all of us again. But someday a shoot shall come from the stump of Jesse. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Now, I don't think he was thinking about Jesus there. I think he was thinking about the next person that would replace Ahaz on the throne. Now, you and I read this. Hindsight's twenty twenty, right? So we read this and we say, oh, I know who that sounds like, right? And we're right. We're right to do it. I just don't know that, Ahaz, that Isaiah was thinking that right here. But these shoes are going to fit, right? His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. I love this. He shall not judge by what his, he's not going to be reactionary to what's on the news. Maybe this next king will not so much be a pragmatist, not so much a pragmatist who's always just reacting to what is happening day in and day out in the calendar or in the news, but he will have a method. <laughs> this new leader, he or she, will have such a core set of beliefs that it will serve as a compass. Not always reacting. I mean, we have to be somewhat reactive, right? But have you ever seen a leader that was only reactive? Who didn't have a core set of beliefs to navigate through the contrary evidence that sometimes our eyes and our ears give us? He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. All right, now, I'm going to come back to that. This is huge. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist. He'll never be without it. And faithfulness, the belt around his loins. The king that Isaiah dreams of here, the king that God is dreaming of here, the new leadership that will be better than Ahaz, will be a very relational leader. And I don't just mean good at saying hi and learning names, that. I don't mean just good at being nice to the person in the drive-through, that too, right? I mean someone who will recognize that love and relationship is how you organize society. And not just with the people who are at the top of the ladder, but maybe even more importantly for the folks who are at the bottom. 
This will be a leader who will recognize the potential in a great society, in a great kingdom, recognize all of that potential and will invest himself or herself in a relational theology whose first priority is to love. And the first priority, when it is love, will absolutely result in justice for those who are on the bottom or on the margins. And sometimes it bothers me that we aren't more excited about that. Because when we aren't more excited about that, then maybe we're a little bit more like the Israelites who would be carried into destruction than we want to believe. See, because Isaiah believes, as he dreams out loud, God's dream, that there will someday be a leader and someday there will be a people who will embody and initiate the victory of God and it will have an impact right here and now and not just hereafter. Let me say this again. I think sometimes the gospel is undercut when we are too fixated on the hereafter somewhere else. What if God wants us to spend a whole lot of that energy on the here and the now in the service of those who need us the most? Well, what if the gospel, in its best and fullest expression, has less to do with you securing your eternity and more to do with you securing someone else's today. Boy, if more people felt like that, it would change things. It would be so dramatic, it would be worthy of poetry. And here's the kind of poetry that it might be worth, ready? When someone lives like that, when someone is like that, when someone is going to hold to that kind of hope and truth, here's what it could look like. Then the wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them as they keep reading. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth would be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In our cynicism, you ready for this? I'm going to tattle on myself here a little bit too. In fact, let me, let me back up. In my cynicism, there are times when I just determined that this is just art and not much more. But friends, this is the articulated vision of a very stubborn God who says, no, we can do this, and we can do this here and now. And by the way, that's not all about animals. <laughs> Does everybody recognize that this isn't, isn't all about animals, that the animals serve as metaphors for us today? I mean, have you gotten so cynical about things that you feel like that this is little more than a pipe dream? Something to recite, maybe even nod along with, and then get in your car, fasten that safety belt, and drive off into the world that is nothing but dangerous. Certainly not beautiful, certainly not represented by this. When the people of God abandon the dream of God, all of creation pays the price. Ready? I'm gonna give it to you one more time. When the people of God abandon the dream of God, all of creation pays the price. Brueggemann says it this, says it this way. This poem is about deep, radical, limitless transformation in which we, lion or wolf or leopard, will have no hunger for injury, no need to devour, no yearning for brutal control, no passion for domination. I mean, you, you, again, 
I appreciated one of the things that Lee said last week. If, like, if you want to at least take a shot at recovering some sense of wonder this Advent season, maybe one of the things you need to do is stop listening so much to the other voices. Because if you listen too much to the other voices, you'll get this deep sense that humanity will never stop feeding on one another. Never. And, and here, yes, the focus is on the wolf and the lion and the asp, these dangerous animals who feed on the vulnerable and the weak, the orphan. But the lamb and the cow and the child have responsibility as well. This is something Dr. Tashin helped me with this week. Those of you who are in the room, by the way, when you, when you go into a situation saying, hey, this is a wolf and lamb situation, somebody's got to figure this out. Everybody always thinks that they're the lamb. right? Maybe you are the lamb. And if you are a lamb in your situation that is something other than the kingdom of peace, what is your role? What role do you have to play? Is it just to flee? No, at, at some point, the lamb, the child, have to choose to give some sort of a gift of trust to the person who might well be somewhat dangerous. Are we willing to be those people? Is this even possible? Scripture seems to say that it is possible. Verse 10, on that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nation shall inquire of him and his dwelling shall be glorious. Now, we Christians, again, hindsight being what it is, look at Jesus to be the perfect fit for this job description, right? But because of what we believe about Jesus, and we're right about that, but because of what we believe about Jesus, we also have to understand that this whole project now is shared with us. This whole project is now shared with us. It is the life, it is the death, it is the resurrection of Christ. It is the gifting of all of these resources and Pentecost. And in those moments, friends, the work is not just up to Christ. It is also up to the people who are now going to be described by Paul as the body of Christ. I think sometimes we wait for Jesus to do what Jesus has already done while Jesus is waiting for us to do what Jesus has already done. I might even say that one again too. So think about work, think about your neighborhood, think about the situations that you're in, think about your difficult family. Do you find yourself rocking back and forth, asking God to finally come and do the thing that God has already done in Christ? While God is maybe rocking back, rocking back and forth saying, man, I wish you would go ahead and do the thing that I've already done in Christ. And by the way, in your household, but also in your neighborhood and in your city, and your state, is it possible, is it possible that people, if, they, if we could, as the people of God, just recover our sense of wonder, might we be able to become the people who can make generational differences in the lives of the people around us? Or are we going to sit back and say, man, I wish God would get busy? Or even worse, man, I wish God would take all the good people like me somewhere else. That will never result in Isaiah chapter 11. Jason did it again, y'all. Friday, Jason preached a killer sermon at the funeral of Naomi. That was a really terrible word to use right there. I'm very sorry. <laughs> hey, let's edit that out. Now we're keeping it. Now we're keeping it, okay. Uh, all right, ready, click. Jason did so well Friday in the sermon for it, Naomi Tidwell. She was 98 years old when she died. And I didn't realize until uh, I was hearing the stories how much she had suffered. So much suffering. So much heartache. I mean, the family that gathered, I, in some sense you call this is the family that survived together because she'd lost so much, as you would expect. 
98 years old. Naomi wrote an autobiography. And uh, some of the, the words that she wrote in her autobiogra autobiography have become treasures for her family. For example, <laughs> she said this, as human beings, we tend to measure the abundant life by the things we can collect and possess rather than by the intangible elements of our ability to give and receive love, kindness, and forgiveness. Oh, sweet Naomi. And you could see in the room that she had made a generational difference for her family. In fact, let me better describe it. She had made a, a peaceable kingdom sort of impact on her family. Let me say it even better. She had been the extension of Christ for her family. And in being the extension of Christ for her family, she had made a generational difference. And that's not all. This was a world changer, Naomi Tidwell. You may not have known it. But there are people today in Nampunwe, Africa and Zambia, who are no longer dying because of a lack of fresh water. There were infants and older people dying of diarrhea because they did not have access to clean water. Something about that story grabbed Naomi's heart and she didn't say, here's what she didn't say, Lord, please fix that. She said, God, how might you use me to extend the kingdom of peace? In other words, Naomi, even as she aged, could hear what I feel like I'm just now beginning to rediscover, the wonder of hope and future and possibility. And then not only did she hear it, she participated in it. And there are folks who are literally alive today because she listened with wonder at what it is that God wanted to do and then found a way to participate. Man, things happen when you recover the capacity to hear. Things happen when we slowly but surely recover the capacity for wonder. Perhaps it's in those moments that God is better able to shift us into places and positions where we can continue to do the good but hard work of announcing and embodying our eternal hope. Frankly, that's why we gather around the table each week too to be reminded of our origin story, the story where we find the best source and resource for this eternal hope. So if you were helping us today, would you come and set the table for us? And as they're coming, Father, would you bless these elements? Simple pieces of bread and simple sips from this cup. But somehow in your hand, it becomes so much more. God. We need these moments. We need these sacred moments. We need this sacrament. We need for you to help us to be able to see what we might not have seen otherwise and hear what we might not have heard otherwise. We need to be reminded that our story continues. Yes, because all that you have done, but this story continues because of all that you want to do in and through us. And so nourish us today your body and blood, that we might do our place, that we might do our thing and take our place in this continuing effort to extend and advance the kingdom of peace. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and exit your pews to the left and to come forward with your hands cupped to receive communion from these people who are up front. You will notice that the people up front are not masked, and you will notice that we no longer have people in the aisles with the uh, prepackaged elements, but we have all of that. We have masked servers at the back, and we have the prepackaged elements at the back. If you are more comfortable with prepackaged elements and dealing with somebody who is masked, we absolutely celebrate that, and we want you to be 
involved. So it's just going to be right back there. And if you need it, it's right back there. Otherwise, asking folks to come forward with your hands cupped. And as you approach someone with bread, what you'll find is this. Someone will take that piece of bread and press it into your hands and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Don't take it just yet. Don't eat it just yet, but take that piece of bread and dip it, just dip it ever so lightly into the cup. When you do, the person holding the cup will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat. And then if you would, find a place to pray. If you choose to go to one of these side padded altars, and I believe it will be Ken over here, and Lee over here. If you come to one of these side padded altars, we will assume that you are there for a prayer for healing and we will anoint you with the oil that God might do something to heal your wound, whether it be physical, emotional, theological, familial, and relational, it doesn't matter. All kinds of prayers for healing will be prayed at those side padded altars. If you come to one of these kneeling benches up front. We won't assume anything, but we will at some point come by, probably will be me, and touch you on the back, the neck, the shoulder, because I want you to know that you're not alone, because you're not alone. You may want to make a special trip. You may want to dip your fingers into this bowl of water right here. It is representative of the moment of your baptism and your inclusion in this people who have a calling and a purpose and maybe you need that jolt of memory to help you for your tomorrow. I do. Or you can circle right back around and pray there in your seats, and I'm telling you, I'm just sure of it, God can still hear those prayers as well. But I do hope that you'll pray, and this is what I hope that you'll pray. God, restore to me a sense of Advent, anticipation, hope, and wonder. Grip me with the kind of wonder that allows me to be something more than the person who just reacts to what I see on my screens. But grip me with this sense of wonder so that I can faithfully and with deep righteousness, right relatedness, continue to implement and make tangible and visible the victory of Christ. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you and every time you eat of it, including today, December 4th, remember me. The same way later he took the cup and he held it up before them and he said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant now shed for you and every time you drink of it, including today, December 4th, remember me. You may be asking yourself, do I qualify to go? Here, here's all you need to qualify to be around these tables with us. If you recognize your need for grace as I do, you are welcome. Yeah, but you don't know what I did yesterday. If you recognize your need for grace, it doesn't matter what you dragged in here with you, you are welcome at this table. Absolutely welcome. And so now, given that, all across the sanctuary, if you would, stand to your feet. Exit your pews to the left and come forward with your hands cupped to receive these gifts of God meant to nourish the people of God.
I'm going to offer a few words of a confessional prayer before getting out of the way for Lee, I mean, I'm sorry, for Jason to pray the intercessory prayers. If at any point during the prayer, you would like to come down and find a place to pray, absolutely welcome to do so. I do hope that you will continue there in your pews in a posture of prayer. I hope you will continue to pray, not just be in a posture of prayer. And so Heavenly Father, help us now to discern and diagnose if we have in fact suffered a loss of wonder Grow within us, God, the capacity to be cynical of our cynicism. Grow within us the capacity to doubt our doubts, to be disillusioned with our disillusionment. Open our hearts and our imaginations to the possibility of wonder, to the possibility of hope. And remind us too, God, that it's not a self-generated wonder. It's just the recovery to hear. It's the process of recovering our capacity to hear your voice, to sense your movement. Hear us now as we confess, and perhaps you, like me, need to confess what it is that costs you hearing. Maybe, maybe you have grown numb to the whispering voice of God. Maybe there's too much noise, but confess a loss of wonder and open yourself to what it is that God might direct you to do or to be. this. May the Almighty God have mercy on all of us and forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness and by the power of the Spirit, keep us in boundless and eternal life. As we continue in these moments of intercessory prayer, you can continue to take the posture of prayer, which is most comfortable for you, whether you're here in the sanctuary or you're at home. We would just encourage your posture of prayer in a way that you can continue to talk to God. And so God, we've gathered in this space asking that you might significantly lend your compassion, love, presence to a few of the folks who we love so dearly. And we do pray for the family of Naomi Tidwell. And God, we just ask that you would surround them in love and that the impact of her life with her family her church family, and those in Nimpongwe, Zambia, Africa, would continue for generations. And God, we thank you for the gift of clean water in that land. And God, may we not be so far from the wonder of our own lives to say thank you for all the gifts you've given unto us. God, we ask that you would continue to be with our pastor and continue in the healing and the hearing of his ears and of his life. And as you do that, God, you would also take care of his son, Drew, and Drew's heart. God, would you be with Drew each and every day, each and every heartbeat. God, we ask that you would also be with the continued healing of our dear friend and pianist this morning and Dr. Mark Riegert. We are so thankful for the gifts that you have given him and the giftedness that he has for us. And God asks that you would continue to heal Mark and thank you for his return today. God, we ask that you would continue to be with Bonnie Goodwin as she recovers from surgery and the so quickly and sudden loss of her sister. God, we ask that you would be with her and Matt and their family. And God, we ask that you would continue to be with all who've experienced loss and surround God, especially this time of year, with those who will have an empty seat at the table. God, we ask that you would continue to come alongside of Timmy the foster son of Rihanna Jurgensen. God, that you would be with Kurt Dykes, the son of Glenn and Sharon Dykes, as he has had a return of his brain cancer. 
God, we ask that you would continue to be with our friends, Glenn and Betty Fain. And God, I ask that you would continue to take care of my friend, Matthew. It's in these moments that we want to pray for all who need a special healing touch from God. And so if you've brought into this room or you're watching at home, someone who you know needs a significant healing, and that can be for whatever you would like it to be as you pray. Would you pray for that loved one now? And then would you have the courage, some of you, to pray for an enemy, an opposite, an irritant, or to ask God that maybe you would want to pray this prayer in some time? And finally, before we pray the Lord's Prayer together, I'm going to ask Mark to stop playing, and we're just going to have 30 seconds of silence each Sunday of Advent as we move towards Christmas to see what God would have for us as we listen in prayer. Let's pray together in silence. And now would you pray together with me the prayer you'll see on the screens in front of you. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.